Silence your cell phones now. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to the Pop Off Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Campiano, and I'm joined by Nick Forty B. Bordenero to talk about succession and the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals. But before we get started, Bordy, I have to ask you a very, very important question. Um, do you find me attractive, Bordy B? Handsome as anybody I've ever known. Okay, so are you saying you want to fuck me? Because if you want to fuck me, then I will kill you and I will pull your intestines out through your asshole. I want to start with Greg and Shiv because, I mean, this is like one of the best episodes of Succession I've ever seen. Um, I'm absolutely loving it. I rewatched it this morning and it was just a 70-minute panic attack. And this is the scene that keeps sticking out to me. One, because I don't know if we've ever had a one-on-one with Shiv and Greg and I don't know what to expect when these two people enter a room. And it is kind of the cornerstone of the entire episode because it ends up fucking over Shiv in the end. But what was kind of your favorite part about this episode? Is there one moment that stuck out to you the most? Because this is the one that I keep returning to in my head over and over again. Yeah, Greg's just that guy you can get an answer out of at will. Yeah. You know, He's just incapable of telling a lie. Uh, my favorite part of the episode also involves Greg though. It's uh when they're hitting two skis behind the whiteboard. Uh he basically tells Greg, Greg, you're back to Gregging today. Yep. Uh because he wants his old assistant back. He wants to be at the top of his game, mm-hmm. stressful day. So Greg is kind of back to his old uh cattle herding uh, job. Yep, Greg is the best Greg that Tom has ever had. There's no replacing Greg, even though he needs ten Gregs to do what one Greg could do. Um, yeah, I think just we can dive into each of these characters and kind of their ups and downs of this episode. It is, I guess, let's start with Greg because this is a huge episode for him. You said you know he is obviously like kind of the audience's avatar for this entire show, like. If there's anybody I'm most like in the show, it's probably Greg because I'm not that quick on my feet. I can't come up with these really witty comebacks. I know nothing about this corporate world. If I was tossed into it, I would behave more like Greg than I would anybody else. At least that's like my most pessimistic viewpoint of myself. Optimistically, I think I would maybe thrive a little bit and get to a higher position like Tom. But in reality, I'd probably be more of a Greg. But he calls Shiv's bluff. So I think that that moment that I keep returning to – the whole internal organs threat and her, her saying that if she fucks him, she'll fucking kill him and all of this kind of stuff. I keep going back to like the idea that all of these threats that Logan has done in the past, Kendall, Roman, Shiv, Tom, whoever it might be, they're always just words. Like There's never really any kind of physical manifestation of these threats, <clears throat> and he completely calls her on that. And so when he... <laughs> Goes to Kendall, and they're filming it where Kendall's behind like the glass wall, and Shiv's just in there panicking. And Greg finally unfolds all of Shiv's truths about her deal with Madsen. That's kind of the pinnacle of the episode, and I think that's completely built on the fact that Greg asked Shiv straight up, like, hey, is there an offer here? Because if there's an offer here, then I can actually do something for you, and I will keep this a secret. But if you're not going to take me seriously, like Kendall would, or Roman would, or Tom would, then I'm going to fucking snitch, and he snitched. So... I think Greg is the biggest winner of this episode other than probably Roman and Mankin, who won the presidency of the United States. Um, But I think that this is just like, I mean, the last episode, he's firing 200 people over a Zoom call and they're all muted. And now this episode, he's helping determine who's the president of the United States. So this is a big episode for Greg. 
Shout out Greg. Who else we got? Uh, Shiv kind of got fucked all episode. Shiv got absolutely fucked the entire episode. So I think this is an all-time bozo performance from her. One, not taking Greg seriously. That was probably her biggest downfall of the episode. Two, the whole instance where Kendall is asking her to talk to the Dems about is it possible if they could stop the Matson deal? Now, obviously, she doesn't want to do that because she is motivated by the Matson deal going through because she thinks that she's in with him. And that's kind of the whole – her thing this entire episode is she's talking about how like she has the moral high ground because she's not promoting a fascist, far-right, pseudo-Nazi in Mankin. And she's for Jimenez, who's like not necessarily a socialist. We don't really know much about his political beliefs, but he's definitely just like a typical Democrat. And he's a younger guy. He's a you know Mexican dude. Um, but at the same time, like her whole moral high ground stance is completely fucking stupid and bullshit because – at the end of the day, she's in the, her interests are vested in the same things that Roman's are. Roman wants Mankin because Roman will get more power if Mankin becomes president. Shiv wants Jimenez because Shiv will get more power if Jimenez becomes president. So her hypocrisy in this episode is just one of those things where it's like, this is total horseshit. And then there's obviously the instance where she tells Tom she's pregnant. And that's the other thing that I've been returning to time and time again because says is this a tactic or what's your angle here is that even true is what he says it's like kind of the (laughs) thesis statement of the series and she just completely falls apart after that and this is like moments after she told him my dad died and he not blames her for it but says it's partially your fault and you hated him so real big episode for shiv here i but at the same time like this is the most pivotal day of her life she's pregnant she's dealing with all these things i think she's like 20 weeks pregnant or something like that too so you know, she's actually starting to feel the symptoms and whatnot. I don't know much about pregnancy. I've never been pregnant. Um, but at the same time, it's like, Shiv, you got to perform here, baby. Like, this is the time to, you know, show up and show out. And she just got completely shit on from, you know, minute one to minute 72 or whatever it was. And now she's kind of on the outside looking in. Completely. She's so fucked. And, I mean, there's so many different ways to go about it. She has a conversation with Kendall where he is opening up to her and he says to her point blank, I've been thinking about running the company by myself. And she says, okay, I appreciate your transparency and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's so sore loser of her to say to him, you're a good guy. When in reality, that's all that he's looking for. He just wants some kind of emotional reassurance that he's a decent father and a decent person and that he's doing the right thing and it feels false in the moment and the whole time you're just like watching these two siblings interact and you know that she's trying to fuck him over she's going outside to a guy from norway that she met two weeks ago not even two weeks ago like five days ago in succession world that she's actually had a conversation with for the first time like the last week and she wants to fuck over both of her siblings for her because she's salty that they both took the position of CEO and left her on the outside. She was going to be on the outside no matter what, but the way that she's played this entire situation, it just feels so not immature, but I don't know. Like it makes sense that she hasn't been involved in this company since day one, like the other two have been. Like she was a political advisor before she was this, and now she's completely vested in this, and she's making mistakes left and right. Now, knowing succession, that could mean that over the course of the next two episodes, next episode is the second to last episode, the penultimate one, and then the following week will be the finale. 
knowing that Shiv is this low right now, she could easily skyrocket in the next two weeks. Um, so you can't really ever count her out. But at the same time, I don't know, buddy. Shiv is uh, Shiv's on a downward turn here. I just don't see her going much further with the company, especially with the stance they took with Mencken and calling the election for Mencken. Uh, who knows how that will play out with with Wisconsin. But, uh, yeah, she's kind of on a downhill slope here. Uh, I think her brothers will forgive her just because nobody really holds a beef in this show. They just stay passive-aggressive about it for season to season. But some things got to start wrapping up here. I think that would be true. If we were earlier in the process, if we had another season, I think that would be true. But knowing that this is the last season, I think that this might be the last draw because Jerry's holding firm in her beef with Roman. She didn't appear in this episode at all, but she's completely done with him. And I think that this is where even Tom and Shiv, like Shiv gives Tom the opportunity to apologize during this episode and he doesn't take it. So he's firm in their beef. He's like, no, all the stuff that I said last episode and all the stuff that you said last episode that was the most true that we've been to each other in our entire marriage. And I believe those things and I'm going to continue to believe those things. And this is all bullshit. So I think when I I think Kendall calls her a piece of dirt during that confrontation where he finds out that she's been going behind their backs, I think it's legitimate. I think that they're both out on him. I think the only way she could get the upper hand is if she really digs deep and she pulls out the Kendall killed a guy card and Roman sent dick pics to Jerry Card because she knows about both of those things, so she could pull them out. But then she also has to be able to elevate Matson. Does she elevate Matson, or does she just go for the whole crown by herself? So she has different avenues that she can take. It's just a matter of whether or not she will take them. Like, is she willing to reach low enough to get her brother arrested for not murdering, but being involved in essentially a manslaughter of a waiter at her wedding, and then Roman sending <laughs> fucking snapchats of his cock to jerry during business meetings and uh madsen and his blood fetish <laughs> seems like all all the men in this show and maybe that's realistic with the business world had just a horrible scandal about them it's looming over their heads that makes them anxious terrible people let's talk connor <laughs> Con- connor doesn't want connor was running for president president Connor was running for president. He <laughs> thought he had a chance with the Blue Bloods in Kentucky, but and then uh, by the end of the episode, he's ready to uh, concede and beg for a spot in the. I can't remember what country he was talking about. Uruguay, but Bolivia, uh, Slovenia. <laughs> he said a bunch of different places. I can't remember which one he's going to land in, but I wish I would have wrote down his line from that scene because. The fun guy in Uruguay. I like that <laughs> yeah. one. Um, yeah, he's like, and yeah, your rhymes are appealing, Connor. Thank you. But yeah, that was kind of a yesterday <laughs> offer. But yeah, I think that this show, like, they do a really good job of showing people how they get corrupted. Like, Willa specifically, she says, you know, he is really far right and she's probably a liberal. You know, she wrote a play for like New York and it didn't go very well and Broadway completely ripped her a new one. But she says, I don't know. I think I could give up these beliefs if we could have lunch in Venice and dinner in Paris and breakfast in wherever the fuck, Costa Rica. (laughs) And it's just like those little things, like the little daily boosts that she would get from the vitamin D of the sun in Tuscany and then the delicious croissants that she could have in France. 
that makes her abandon all of her real true beliefs about America. She's like, yeah, all these beliefs, I'll just fucking ditch them if you want to become a, I don't even know what he would be over there, like a chancellor of some country or something. I don't know how he would make Macon's life easier, but Connor, dude, I mean, that speech <laughs> where he says, I just happen to be a billionaire. It's just like some of the best TV <laughs> writing that you'll ever see. And I, I love him to death. I'm going to miss him a lot. He's going to be one of those characters that like, I wish I had more of. There's always shows where you wish you had a little bit more of a character. Like with Barry, it's always no ho Hank for me. I wish he was in every fucking scene. I wish the show was built around him. Uh, but with Connor, it's like, that's the spinoff potential. If I could pick. Yeah, we, we need like a Veep spinoff of Connor. Yes, 100%. Like him as the vice president to Mankin. Something along those lines. That would be <laughs> just perfect. Um, but yeah, and he comes to the ATN offices too. And he just kind of. It's just a clusterfuck there. I loved being there. But good God, it's like they are completely out of control. And it's just chaos all over the place. And I think that shows with all the siblings on the floor running around telling people to do different things and uh, Greg trying to, like, get everybody off the floor. Like, that would never happen if Logan was still in charge. A hundred percent. Like, Logan uh, mentioned early in the season he hadn't been down there in a few years to even talk to these news crew. So it just shows instability from the top down at this point. Yeah, a one-headed snake is much scarier than a three-headed snake that's going in every different direction because they can't even figure out where they want to align as a team, whereas Logan was the sole patriarch, and so he could steer everything as he wanted to because he was the only captain of the ship, and now we have three captains of the ship, and they're all over the fucking place. Um, I do want to give a quick shout-out before we close on succession and go to the NBA um, to Hugo, Frank, and Carl. Uh Three of my favorite characters in the show. They're really shining. And just the two cutaways that we got to them where Frank says Connor was running for president. And then Hugo completely annihilating Jimenez during his speech where he says, God, he's so boring. Just flop your cock out. That was maybe one of my my favorite lines in succession history. And um, I'm going to miss those guys, too. We only got two episodes with them left. And they kind of teased us with them a little bit. yeah, what sucks about these uh, quick ending the shows is a lot of stuff will not get wrapped up with six succession. Like, who knows how much more we see of uh, Stevie or whatever his name is and, like, the PGN deal that they're trying to get. Oh, Stewie. Yeah. Like, Stewie, yeah, not Stevie. But uh, I don't know. I feel like this show just kind of is hitting its stride. It's sad that this is the last season because it's by far been the best season. So, uh Hopefully they can put a bow on it. Yeah. Let's let's actually close with Roman really quick because I don't know about you, but I think this is the most punchable that he's ever been in an episode. Um, false flag. False flag. False flag. <laughs> Fucking dick, dude. And I think he kind <laughs> of had the thesis statement for the entire show, at least where the show has been the last five or six episodes. Um, when he said, nothing fucking matters. Dad's dead. And the country is just a big pussy waiting to get fucked. Nothing fucking matters. Dad's dead. He is... In a zone where he said he pre-grieved, obviously did not pre-grieve. He's going to fucking crumble. Next week is going to be the funeral episode where he's going to be delivering a speech. So if you watch the preview for next week's episode, he is, um, I think, going to be very showboaty because he's coming off of an all-time high. He finally did the thing where he won a big moment, and now he's going to have to answer for all of his sins um, at the funeral. And it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about Logan but also what he has to say about Shiv, Kendall, Connor, Tom, Greg, Marsha, um, Carrie, and everybody along those lines because 
he is just so rotten. Like he is such a fucking money grubbing cynic power derivative little cuck and I really cannot stand him anymore. Um I thought he was one of my favorite characters and he still is one of my favorite characters. I love watching him. I love when he's on the screen. It's just that I hate him as a person so much now. You go uh Team Kendall then for CEO. He uh mentions he wants to do it alone and during his, that talk with Ship he doesn't mention Roman at all. Well, he he does mention Roman. He's scared of Roman, though. He's scared of uh, the relationship that Roman has with Mankin. Um, because Mankin says... Oh, that right. That's he, how the conversation starts. Yep, he wants to meet with Roman, Roman alone. And Kendall's on the outside looking in on that one. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm Team Kendall, personally. I've always been Team Kendall. Um, I think that the show kind of steers you that way because of all of his you know, emotional arcs and the fact that he's a fucking zombie for an entire season. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely continuing. But he, he hasn't, week. he hasn't became a better person. Like no, none of, if anything, he's become a worse person. They've all become worse people. And he had a decision this episode between becoming more powerful and giving up, you know, Rava and Sophie and Iverson, his real family, um, that he created a family with his adopted daughter. Um, or he could, you know, choose them. And steer their election towards Jimenez because if Mankin were to win, then that would gravitate more attention and animosity and energy in the entire country. Um, and obviously Ravenhead, the guy who works for ATN, that's like their Tucker Carlson stand-in, um, he would just – because like the whole issue with Sophie was that she got pushed by somebody wearing a Ravenhead shirt um, because they know that Kendall's her dad. And so he had a decision of, you know, I can choose them or I can choose this, and he chose this, and – he had an opportunity to save the day, but he said, fuck that. Um, I'm not going to lose. It was never home. really even a choice for Kendall, though. Yeah. Like, you never saw him mulling that decision. Right, right. As, as soon as, whenever the opportunity for the company was in front of him, it was just a phone call to Rava and piece of shit dad vibes. Okay, let's, let's move on. Um, we have the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals. We'll go through these pretty quick. Um, Because we don't want to take too much of people's time here. But the Boston Celtics um, advanced past the Philadelphia 76ers yesterday afternoon, led behind Jason Tatum's 51-point Game 7 performance, the most points ever in a Game 7, the most points ever since two weeks ago when Stephen – or would it be four, three and a half, four weeks ago now when Stephen Curry dropped 50 on the Kings. Uh, Just unbelievable. Like what what the actual fuck happened? I mean – he, yeah, he was, Sixers never really, never really stood a chance once Tatum turned it on. Yes, and they uh, had really good energy. Yeah. I thought in the first quarter, like defensively, they were on a string and they were moving around. And they were contesting everything, but then once he got going, it was a wrap. Yeah, uh, the only the only reason they were in that series is because it was a sleeping Tatum through the middle of it, and it just ran dry. I don't know if Harden and Embiid have the stamina to even make a long playoff run at this point. it's uh, I think the process might be coming to an end. That's interesting because, yeah, they were both terrible yesterday, and he was sublime. So it was depressing because it was 55-52 to 52 after the first half, and then you get to the third quarter, and you would expect the game to be tightly contested. And then Embiid's just getting picked on by Tatum. Like Tatum's like getting him in every screen and roll switch that he can, and he's just isoing and pulling up over the top of him. And these are two guys who work out together in the summer with Drew Hanlon, so they're pretty tight. Um, but Embiid, for a guy who 
We praise Embiid, especially over Jokic, because of his defensive prowess. He's an elite rim protector, and we talk about him in the same conversations as Giannis and AD is the best big man defenders in the league because of his ability to switch on the screen and rolls. But yesterday, they were targeting him in the screen and rolls. So, you know, we have to have a different conversation about him now because it was game seven. It's when it mattered most, and he was just getting fucking picked on on the perimeter. And, you know, he's not supposed to be that good of a defender on the perimeter because he's seven foot two, 285 pounds. Like, he shouldn't be able to move his feet with guards. He shouldn't be able to switch. But if we're going to talk about him in the same conversations as Giannis and AD, two guys who can do that, who can switch on to Littles, and stick with them and get in their hip pocket and guard them 94 feet if they really need to, um, then that's just a fair conversation to have about him. So I was really disappointed. I was looking forward to that second half greatly. I loved the first half. It was so intense. It was like an old school, like 2008 Celtics vibe in that arena. It was loud. It was pungent. You could feel every shot like being having like the weight of the world on it in a way. And then in the second half, they opened the doors up. I think they went on like a 33 to five, 33 to eight run at one point in that third quarter, which is just, it's pathetic. You don't want to see it. It's yeah, it fucking was sad weak. to see. It was sad to see in a game seven for sure. Just weak. And, uh, I feel like, uh, Phoenix is looking at their season the same way. Mm. Uh, they're going to have to go to the bo- drawing board and figure out how to, win seven game series it's not a regular season trophy it's a you see uh the play or the lakers in the western conference finals yep. it's a you got to build a team to win a seven game series yep. same with the heat the heat are built for a playoff series whether they're the one seed like last year or the eight seed this year so i actually got to get in and be built for the playoffs yep i want to move on to that eastern conference finals because the heat are matched up with the celtics for the second year in a row in the conference finals Last year, I believe the Celtics won in six games. Maybe it was seven. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, But Jimmy Butler essentially missed a go-ahead three opportunity. Um, And whether it was game six or seven, I can't remember sincerely. Um, But it was tightly contested. And that was when the Celtics were one of the best defensive teams in the league, if not the best defensive team in the league. They had a much better coach last year at Ime Adoka as opposed to Joe Mazzulla this year. And I think that last year's version of Boston was better defensively. I'm not sure if they were better offensively necessarily because they still had droughts back then. Um, but then this year's Miami team. I am – you tell me what you think. But I'm definitely considering wagering on the Heat to win this series specifically because I think that Eric Spolstra is going to make Joe Mazzula look like a fucking imbecile in the first three games for sure. It'll be whether or not Missoula can make the adjustments that Spolster is going to make. But I think that this series might come down to coaching, and I think I'm going to ride with the heat on it. I got to get the odds pulled up, though. So let me know what you think about that while I pull these up. It's insane that these guys have to travel from Boston to Miami, what, four or five times in the next two weeks? Like, it's going to be such different atmospheres in both stadium and Boston. It's full of whites that have been there for an hour. Six real hours. riled up. And down down in Miami, nobody gets there till halftime. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, it's it's Max Struess May. All right. Uh Bam and Jimmy are a defensive tandem not to be messed with. Right. So uh, I'm pulling for Miami hard, but uh, you know, if Tatum's dropping fifty point games and goes on a run like he did last year, it's 
might have the same outcomes last. Boston is minus 550 to win the series. Miami plus 390 to win the series. So that is a very tasty wager that I'm going to be considering. That's some good value on Miami. Some great value on Miami and some terrible value on Boston. And I think Boston's a better team, 1 through 10. Um, But at the same time, top two guys on each team, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum versus Bam and Jimmy. Um, The role players going at it, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Smart kind of filling the same role. Max Strews filling the same role as Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, etc. Duncan Robinson could have a big series. Um, I think I'm going to wager on the Heat here. Plus 390 is really tasty. Um, yeah, I feel like this this series is going to be headlined by the stars. Yep. Bam, Jimmy, of course. Jason, and Jalen. And I think the other series is going to have a lot to do, how that turns out, is going to have a lot to do with the role players. Yep. Because Jokic is going to do his thing. LeBron's going to do his thing. AD's going to hopefully do his thing. He'll do his thing for three games. Uh but I think it comes down to the Jamal Murrays, the Aaron Gordons, the uh, Dennis Schroeders, Lonnie Walker. Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves, yeah, if he could keep shooting lights out. I, th- I mean, the Lakers. I think the last time I was on this podcast was the trade deadline, and we were talking if the Lakers were even going to make the playoffs. Yep. And But we knew if they did get in, they'd be trouble to deal with. Well, I saw a stat. I think it was yesterday that over the last 11 years, LeBron is 29 and one in playoff series that aren't the NBA finals. Um, now that discounts the fact that he didn't make it to the playoffs for two of those years, uh, 2021. And I think 2019, I want to say his first year with the Lakers. Um, so that's, that's pretty impressive. 29 and one and, you know, Eastern conference or Western conference series is it's, it's unbelievable. The fact that he made it to eight straight finals is going to boost that. Um, but at the same time, you have Jokic, who is the best basketball player in the world right now. I don't think it's really a conversation anymore. He's been playing the best basketball throughout the playoffs thus far. And you have Anthony Davis, who is the best defender in the world, um, other than probably Giannis. Maybe Drew Holiday could be thrown in that mix. But I think that AD is arguably the best defensive player in the world. So that matchup is going to be fascinating. But what I'm thinking about is the competition level that has been experienced throughout the playoffs thus far. So... Denver's first series, they played Minnesota, who squeaks in through the plan. Um, not a great team. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson, Anthony Edwards, they have kind of this identity crisis. And they beat them in five games. Credit to Denver. They gentlemen swept them. They could have swept them easily. And then they go to Phoenix, and they play against KD and Booker and a bunch of scrubs, and they beat them in six games. Whereas you look at the Lakers, they play the Memphis Grizzlies, who didn't have Steven Adams or Brandon Clark, naturally. Uh, but they took care of them in six games as well, and then they go into this last series against the Warriors, the defending champs, and they beat them in six games. If you just look at the competitiveness between those two series, I think it is very obvious that the Lakers have played much more competitive basketball. Now, that might be because Denver has been blowing motherfuckers out in the first two rounds. Like, the Phoenix series never really felt like it was that closely contested despite it going to six games, but I think that it is an advantage for the Lakers that they have played a higher level of playoff intensity than Denver has. Now, the other thing to consider here is Denver plays in Denver. It is a mile high, and that is some serious altitude for guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are either older or more injury-prone to go against. That is a real home court advantage that Denver is going to have. And then you have the bright lights of L.A. and whether or not Jokic and Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. can show up at Crypto Center. So I think those are two big factors to consider, the competitiveness throughout the playoffs thus far between both of these teams and the other thing being home court advantage. 
I think the series goes to seven. I'm having a hard time picking against Jokic, but that's my brain, and I usually bet with my heart because I'm an idiot, so I'll probably bet on LeBron. But I'm curious where you're leaning right now for this series so far. It's just tough. I think the Nuggets are too well-rounded. They've, uh, you know, the Lakers have had this team since the trade deadline, uh, even though they still have their two main pieces. Uh, you know, the Nuggets, not even talking Jokic, they got Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, uh, just so many different pieces that fit around KCP, Jokic. Bruce Brown. Yeah, KCP's playing good ball. But uh, I think it comes down to uh, AD and LeBron just have to impose their will if they want to be in this series Uh, because they're facing a lot of younger guys, uh, guys that aren't going to want to get in foul trouble. they got to get to the rim. I'm I'm not nervous, but I think that if you were to build a guy to guard LeBron at this phase of his career – I don't think you could ask for a better build than Aaron Gordon. I think he's a really good individual defender, and I think he's going to do a really good job on LeBron in this series. It's just whether or not LeBron has enough magic to pull out of his ass that he can get him into foul trouble, um, hit him with pump fakes, all that kind of stuff. But Gordon's a pretty disciplined defender. I think him and Jimmy Butler will probably be the two best guys to guard LeBron at this point in his career. Um, so that'll be fascinating. But then I think you could say the same thing about Jokic. If you were to build a defender for him, you'd want to put length on him in AD, some size, a guy who isn't necessarily as bullyable. Like I think people have this preconceived notion that 80s, the skinny guy that came from Kentucky, but he's pretty chunky now. And I think that he can can body up with Jokic there. So this is going to be a really exciting series. I think it goes seven. I think both series could potentially go seven games and we'll see who can squeak it out. But I'm also not sure who has the coaching advantage in this matchup, whether it's Darvin Ham or Mike Malone. I think I'd probably give the edge to Malone since he's a veteran, but at the same time, Darvin Ham has LeBron as his assistant coach, so I think that that's uh, that's pretty pivotal as well. Pretty exciting. Is this the first Jokic versus LeBron playoff matchup we've had? No, we had it in the bubble. Um, Lakers beat them in six on the way to the finals. It was in the conference finals too. So um, that was the series where AD hit the game-winning shot on the left wing and yelled Kobe in game three. Uh, and, yeah, Jokic was – he's – He's a sublime basketball player. I'm. It's going to be really hard for me because he's probably my second favorite player to watch right now uh, behind Braun. So it's just going to be fun for me either way. I, I'm, I would be happy if any of these four teams won a championship. I would be most happy, obviously, if the Lakers won because I'm a LeBron stan and the founder of LeBronianism. Um, but at the end of the day, like if Jokic won or Tatum won or Jimmy won, I'm not going to be disappointed in any of the outcomes at this point. I would have been happy if Embiid would have won. I would have been happy if Curry would have won. Um, I'm... You know, just had a good place of the league right now where I don't really hate anybody. I kind of love them all. The only thing that would have really pissed me off would have been like if, I don't know, the Clippers would have somehow just crawled their way to the fucking finals, but they've been long gone for weeks now. So I'm pumped. That was that would have been my favorite scenario. Okay, before we go, you wanted to talk Lemon Yama sweepstakes really quick. Um, who do you want him to go to? The lottery is tomorrow night before the Lakers-Nuggets game. If you had to pick a franchise for him to be the face of, uh, where do you want him to go? So I didn't know. So every lottery team has a chance at the number one overall pick. Yes, they all have a percentage chance. So the top three teams get 14% chance, and then it dwindles down from there. Let me double-check the text that you sent me. So the Rockets, Magic, and Pistons all have a 14% chance at landing him. The Thunder have a 12.5% chance. The Pacers, 105 That could be fun with Halliburton. 
Um, Blazers, 9%. The Kings, 7.5%. That shouldn't be their pick. I'm not sure whose pick that would be. Um, then we've got teams, let's see here. The Knicks, the Thunder, the Hornets, the Cavs, they all have less than a 2% chance to get him. If you had to see him land somewhere, where would it be? Uh, Is there a... Oklahoma City. Okay, see? Okay. Oklahoma City gets uh, somehow two top ten picks out of these lotteries. Uh, Scoot Henderson, also another prospect that to look out for. Oh yeah, Brandon Miller. I mean, this is a good draft for the top three in particular, and then it kind of falls off a little bit. But those top three guys are going to be franchise changers from day one. OKC is interesting because that means that next year we would have Chet and Wembenyama both in the Rookie of the Year sweepstakes um, or in the competition for the award, which would be hilarious, and they'd be front court mates, and that would be. Probably the longest, biggest, lankiest front court of all time. It doesn't even matter who the small forward is there. I guess it would be Giddy, maybe. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's a team. That's a team I would coach. I don't want to know what that team would look like in two K. That would be <laughs> fucking disgusting. They would have their hands in every passing lane. Um, I like to see them go to Orlando. Let's build on what they're building on there. You got Paolo, Franz. Manifest anybody but Houston. Yeah, anybody but Houston. Sincerely, anybody but Houston because Ime Odoka would play him 45 minutes a game. And um, I think Ime is actually French, so maybe that would be a good fit. Um, He's going to be a good coach for them. I'm excited for that. But, yeah, Jalen Green wouldn't pass him the ball for the first six weeks of the season, so that would kind of suck. Was was, uh, Yao Ming a number one overall pick? Yes. We could be seeing another Yao Ming situation in Houston. That would be pretty cool. That would be cool, pretty cool. And Jalen Green being the team act to the Yao Ming. That could be nice. Um, I think you're... Let's see here. I think the Pacers would be fun, too, just to see him play with Halliburton. Halliburton would set him up for 20 points per game in the first season. Um, and then, you know, Sacramento, 7.5% chance of getting him. That, that's pretty fun. Um, and they have the top four percentages there, too, which is pretty cool. So the top three teams have a 50% chance of getting the top four pick. So that's nice. Um. All right. Do you have anything else that you want to cover before we get out of here? Uh, give me Celtics and seven. Celtics and Nuggets seven. and five. Nuggets and five. Jesus. Okay. I'm gonna take. Uh, Hart says Lakers and seven. Head says Nuggets and six. Hart says Hart and Head both say Heat and seven against the Celts, and then a Nuggets Heat finals is what my head says. Um, but all right, this has been the Pop Off Podcast for Bordy B. I am Ralph Compiano signing off, and we will be back a little bit later this week talking more NBA. We will see you guys on the other side. Thank you for listening. As always, like, subscribe, share, send it to your priest, whatever you got to do, and enjoy Succession Episode 9 next week and the playoffs this week. We will see you guys. Peace out. Let's golf. Silence your cell phones now.